Well, good morning, church. Glad to, glad to see you this morning. Is anybody tired this morning? A few people. All right. I'm tired. I didn't sleep super well last night. Uh, and then I got up, woke up early. And then, you know, when you don't sleep well, you wake up early, you like, your brain is a little bit in a fog and you do things that you normally wouldn't do. So going to go brush my teeth, go get my toothpaste, take the cap off. That's great. And then I grabbed my daughter's toothpaste and she's got like one of those push button ones. And then like some mad scientist, I'm like, I start putting them together to push the toothpastes together. And I was like, what am I doing? So like I caught myself, I was like, I mean, I did think about like, what would that taste like? But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I mean, it's not as bad as the time when I like took my toothbrush and I caught myself doing this motion with it on my deodorant. <laughs> That's not normal. Uh, needless to say, exciting times. Um, how does that relate to our story? Well, uh, sometimes we make decisions without clearly thinking things through all the time, and I think one of the characters in our story does that today. Uh, didn't quite think through everything before he made a promise. We are in the book of Mark, considering our series um, called Remarkable, looking at the life of Jesus. Um, and the story we have today is interesting because it's the only story in the book of Mark that isn't explicitly, specifically about Jesus. It's actually about John the Baptist. So in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 14, if you want to turn there, it'll be up on the screens for you as well. We'll read through the passage and then we're going to talk about it. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod heard about this, Jesus, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. 
And on hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The word of the Lord. So in this story, we have a few characters. The first one it talks about is King Herod. Now, um, there are a number of Herods in the New Testament, and I'm going to try to explain to you as best as I can how to kind of keep them straight. So the first one is King Herod the Great. Now, we call him Herod the Great, but I would submit to you that he was not so great. So that's how you can remember King Herod the Great, who did greatly horrible things. Uh, he is the guy who tried to kill baby Jesus when, when he was a baby in, in Bethlehem. So he is known for the slaughter of the innocents. Um, now, this is completely a side note, but I was doing some research on this, just kind of like, hey, you know, in history, a lot of people debate whether that actually happened or whether that didn't happen, whether the slaughter of the innocents actually um, did happen. Uh, and so I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, how big is Bethlehem? Well, if we sing the song, Little Town of Bethlehem. Like, it's, it's a tiny town, like under 500 people. Um, so how many kids would there have been under the age of two or up to the age of two? And estimates range anywhere, range anywhere from six to 20. So that's probably the range of what we're looking like, of what Herod the Great, who was not so great, he did greatly horrible things, um, the number of kids that were killed uh, in that town. So that, to put it in a grand perspective, like if you're a historian, that seems like a pretty small detail that might not get put in anywhere if it's that small of a number. Still horrendous, not cool. Um, he's the reason that Mary and Joseph fled. Uh, and then when he died in roughly four to six uh, B.C., somewhere in there, um, his kids took over. Now, Herod the Great, who was not so great and did greatly horrible things, see, I'm trying to help you guys remember, uh, he had ten wives and a lot of kids, and he named a lot of his kids Herod. So this is why we have so many different Herods in all these different things. So um, we'll look at this column over here first because it's easier to understand. Herod the Great... His first wife, and, they, and history recalls it as his favorite wife, she had some kids with him, a um, couple boys, and one of those married Herod's sister's kids. I mean, there's already some weird stuff going on here. Anyways, um, but then Herod gets suspicious of his most favorite wife and her kids for political reasons, and he was suspicious of her sexually sleeping around, perhaps, so he has them all executed. So he executed his most favorite wife and her kids, um, but not their kids. Those ones were protected, and that's important because that's Herodias, the woman we look in today's story, is her father was killed by her grandfather, who is the father of her husbands. We're getting there. Anyways, <laughs> moving over to the other side of it, Herod the Great had lots of other wives. We don't even, some of his wives are just unknown because it's just, and then he had this many kids with another person. It's like, we don't even know her name. But anyways, so he had a bunch of other wives, but the ones we want to look at is Herod Antipas. And how you can remember that is Antipas, as in he passed on Jesus. He was like, yeah, no, Jesus, he's not the one. It's John the Baptist. That's how I remember it in my head. Anyways, um, so he's the guy we're looking at in our story today, Herod Antipas. And uh, when his father died, Herod the Great, who was not so great, who did greatly horrible things, um, he ruled all of Israel. He was appointed the rulership Rulership? That's not the right word. Anyways, of Israel by Rome, by Mark Antony. 
Um, and he built Rome all kinds of stuff. Like, he did a lot of building of things. And he was the one who revamped the temple in Jerusalem, and that's why we call it Herod's temple. Like, he did some massive expansion on it and stuff like that. Um, but then when he died, his territory that he controlled, all of it, was divided up between his kids. And, I mean, there was bickering, and some guys were only ruler for a little bit of time and whatnot. But Herod Antipas, the guy we're looking at today, he ruled in Galilee, and then a little section kind of below that. So Herod Antipas, uh, he passed on Jesus, um, and we'll see why in a moment. We're getting there. He um, took over this rulership, and he married um, the daughter of a king from the nation below Israel at the time. So he, he marries this daughter of this king of the nation below. Uh, and then he goes to Rome, and he falls in love with his half-brother's wife, Herodias, which is his niece, which would also be his half-brother's niece as well. So he falls in love with her. And she is going to marry him, but she tells him, I won't marry you unless you divorce your current wife. So then he divorces his wife, this daughter of this king, and sends her back to her father. And that's going to be important later on. We'll come back to that. So he does that, and so he marries this woman, Herodias, takes her away from Rome, from his half-brother, takes her to um, Judea, and she brings her daughter, the daughter of this other man that she married as well. Uh, And so that's kind of where we are at at this point in the story, and there's a whole lot more. I was going to put up a graphic, but it's just, it's not cool. Um, There's a couple other Herods in the Bible, um, Herod Agrippa I and Herod Agrippa II, and they're from the line that got all executed, except them, because they were down lower. Now, Herod Agrippa I, he is, a way you can remember is, Herod Agrippa I, he did one thing to Peter, and he put him in jail, and he did one thing to James, the son of Zebedee, and he had him executed. Uh, which leads you to think, well, he's, Peter Agrippa, or he's Herod Agrippa I, and that's two things, yeah, but then he had a kid, it was Herod Agrippa II, and he married his sister. But anyways, we don't have to talk about that. <clears throat> uh... Herod Antipas, the guy who passed on Jesus. He was like, nope, Jesus isn't, isn't, the, isn't the son of God. He's who we find in this story today. So the first thing we see right away in the text here is that um, Jesus' name is being known. He's done all these things. Like, we've looked at so many miracles up to this point, like the sixth chapter in Mark. And Jesus has done so much stuff. It's like, okay, man, like, whew. Like, <laughs> You know, some big miracles at this point. And so Jesus is being known. His name is being spread around, and people are hearing about him. And so Herod hears about him. Now, there's three things that Mark brings up that people were thinking about who Jesus was. Because, again, the big thing is, who is this guy? Like the whole book of Mark, his, his whole goal is telling us, who is Jesus? So he's bringing up what was happening in the culture of that time is there was debate. Who is Jesus? And so there was three things that were being said of who Jesus is at this point. And we're going to look at at each of them. So some were saying that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Others were saying he's Elijah. And some were saying that he was a prophet. So let's look at the prophet and Elijah one first. So they say like a prophet of old. So we have to keep in mind here, the prophets of old would get messages from God and they would deliver them to the people for the people to to obey and listen and, and do what the Lord had said. But there was something that happened. There has been now, at this point, when this takes place, 400 years of no prophets. So generation after generation after generation has not had a prophet. And all of a sudden, this man shows up on the scene, and he's doing all these things, and you're like, whoa, that's kind of like a prophet of old. 
So it's, it's not a hard logical step to guess or to see why people were thinking that Jesus was a prophet. I mean, I would submit to you that Jesus was a prophet. He's a prophet, but he was also more than that. Uh, and Mark wants to show us that. So they were thinking that he was a prophet. Then others were saying that he was Elijah. Now, why would they say he's Elijah? Well, 400 years earlier, in the last prophecies of the last prophet, they had said, Elijah will come, and then will come the Messiah. So there was prophecies about, okay, now you guys are waiting for Elijah. I mean, most of the time we think about the nation of Israel waiting for the Messiah. I mean, technically, yes, they were, but they were also waiting for Elijah because he had to come first, and then the Messiah would come. So some people are saying, hey, this is Elijah. This is the guy to come. So they weren't thinking that Elijah was going to be raised from the dead, no. They were thinking that someone would come within the power and the spirit of Elijah. And Jesus answers that question, like, who was Elijah? It was John the Baptist. I mean, even at John's birth, now John's birth is miraculous in and of itself because um, Zechariah was an old man. He didn't have kids. So an angel came to him and says, yes, you're going to have a son. And he's going to come, he says it, in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And I love the phrase that it says in, in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament in Ocosis. It's like, John the Baptist is coming to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the chick the children, and call people to repentance. Man, I love that. So that's why they thought, hey, maybe this is Elijah, someone filled with the power and the spirit of Elijah. But Jesus, again, answers that question. It's John the Baptist. And now the third one is, some were saying that it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. So who would be saying this? Not the disciples, because it's like, they saw Jesus. It, w- it wouldn't be people that knew Jesus closely or had kind of been in, in contact in ministry with him. Th- this, this rumor or what people were saying is exactly that, is a rumor of what had been spreading around to different people. And I would guess this rumor probably started from King Herod. Because if the king said it, it's like, hey, I heard the king said that this guy was John the Baptist raised from the dead. I mean, you've never met the guy before, but the king said it, right? So there's, there's going to be some weight carried to that. And it's interesting, if we look in Mark um, chapter 8, I mean, you don't have to go there or anything, these same three things come up when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Well, the prophet, Elijah, John the Baptist. And then he asks Peter, he's like, well, who do you say I am? And that's Peter's awesome declaration of Jesus being the Son of God, the Messiah, which Christ says, that was only revealed to you by God because no man told you that, right? Um, so this is, this is this kind of thing that's going on. Is people are trying to figure out who this guy is. So all these rumors, they come to Herod. He hears about Jesus. And he has, what I would say, a lot of guilt and remorse for what he's done. Because he knew John the Baptist was a righteous man. And so he's got this guilt and remorse kind of like eating away inside of him. And then when he hears about some a prophet doing amazing miracles, he's like, oh, this is John the Baptist. Because if there was someone who was raised from the dead, I mean, they would surely be able to do these kind of powerful things, right? Like, so I think that's probably where his thinking is when he's saying that this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. But who is John the Baptist? Well, um... He's a relative of Jesus. We don't know exactly. We don't get the exact word. I mean, often we call him a cousin, um, Jesus' cousin. I mean, it was uh, Mary and Elizabeth were related. It just 
some, somehow. I mean, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they come from the line of Aaron, Mary from the line of David, so it has to be probably on some like mother's side relations or something like that. So anyways, Jesus and John were related in some sort. Um, John was probably six-ish months older than Jesus um, as well. John the Baptist, again, miraculous birth in, in an old age, was said that he would have the power and the spirit of Elijah, and he would go and he would call people to repentance, and he would baptize. So we call him John the Baptist or the baptizer because that's what he did. Um, he had called people down to the river and he would baptize them, and he also would call out people's sin. He called out the Pharisees, and we see here that he called out Herod as well. Now, side little interesting note about um, John the Baptist is it says that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from in the womb before he was born. I mean, like, that's, that's crazy. That's awesome. So, John the Baptist, he was a wild man. He lived in the desert. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts dipped in honey. I mean, maybe he didn't dip it in honey. I don't know. That's just what I've always imagined as a kid is he would dip the locust in honey because how else could you eat a locust? Um, calling people to repentance. Jesus gets baptized by him. Um, and, like I said, he's calling out Herod's improper marriage and relationship. And I find it interesting is when you look at it, it says, for John had been saying to Herod. Like, this wasn't a one-time deal. Like, this was John being like, no, Herod, hey, like, this is wrong. You know, see him next week. Hey, Herod, this is wrong. Like, he's, he's not backing down on this, it seems like. And so it's not a surprise that Herodias, the woman in question, gets a little bit of a grudge about this. Like, a little bit angry about this guy who keeps telling her that she's doing something wrong. Um, so she wants him killed, but Herod, it says, actually feared John, in a sense. It's interesting that, that John didn't fear Herod as the king. It, it, Herod wasn't actually the king. He was actually a tetrarch, which is like, means one of four kind of rulers. He gave himself the name king over the Jews because he just wanted to be cooler and more powerful, I guess. Um, but John didn't fear Herod, but it says Herod feared John. And he knew that he was righteous. And so he actually protected him from Herodias. Which I, which I find is interesting when you think about it. Herod, there's this guy who marries his stepbrother's wife, who is his niece. Um, and he's being called out about this as an inappropriate relationship by this guy that, that he kind of respects and he likes and he likes to listen to, but he listens to this guy. So I am imagine he, that John's in jail here and Herod's going to visit him in the jail and John's preaching to him. And Herod's like enjoying listening to this guy, but he just, he's confused and he doesn't get it. Like, there's got to be a lot of stuff going on in Herod just twisting him around. But you know that he heard the message, right? Like, you know John wasn't like, backing down from telling him the truth about the kingdom. So, Herod would have known, and he enjoyed listening to John. I mean, it's kind of like a little bit of a, of a you know, a puppet on a leash almost kind of thing, a little bit of a jester thing for Herod. It's like, hey, come tell me about stuff, John, you know, and I enjoy it, but then go back to jail kind of a thing. Um, but then Herod throws a birthday party for himself. 
Um, so on his birthday, Herod gave, Herod gave a banquet for all his officials and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Um, some people say that this was like a male-only party. It, scripture doesn't tell us that. All we know is that he had a banquet for his birthday. Um, and it says there was a bunch of people there from Galilee and, and whatnot. But he throws a banquet, and then the daughter of his brother's, his stepbrother's wife, which is his niece, so, which would be his grandniece, something along those, along those lines, she comes and she dances for Herod and his birthday party guests. Now, <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole of study to try to figure out what all that entailed because nothing in the text tells us what kind of a dance it was. Most scholars lean towards it being some kind of seductive sexual dance. Um, but the word can mean like a younger girl, so it could be like a preteen age girl as well. So we don't know what kind of a dance it was, but it could have been a sexual dance, or it could have been a girl who just was a young girl and wanted to dance for her stepdad, great uncle person. Uh, we don't know. All we know is that she came in, she danced, and it pleased everybody. So she did a good job of whatever it was. Um, and then Herod makes a rash statement of, hey, and I mean, he's just showboating at this point, right? He's in, he's in front of all his buddies, all the leaders, and he's like, hey, that was really good. You guys are all impressed. Well, watch this. Whatever you want, I'll give you half my kingdom. He wasn't a king. He didn't even have a kingdom to give her. It, it was just a big bluff at this point because he was kind of like a puppet ruler, not even ruler, over this small little area. Um, so he kind of does this big like showboat. And I find it interesting that this girl, she was probably a preteen or teenager somewhere in there, runs to her mom right away to ask, what, what should I ask? I'm like, mom, what should I ask this guy? I mean, like, he probably should have just been like, you know what, I'm going to give you like a beach house. Good job. Keep, keep rocking. But no, he's like, anything you want, whatever. And like the mom doesn't even miss a beat. It's like she's, like it says there was an opportune moment. It's like she was waiting. She was conniving, trying to figure out how she could kill John. Mom, what should I ask for? John the Baptist said, now. And it says the girl immediately runs back in and says, I want John the Baptist's head right now on a platter. Now, I don't know if she added that part in or not, but that's, that's pretty bold. Not in a bag or anything, but on a platter, like to show around, like, hey, this is my trophy. And Herod, <laughs> he is greatly distressed. Because now he's got a choice. He's just showboated in front of everybody, and it's come back to bite him. Now he's got to decide if he's going to do what he knows to be right. Because he knows that John is a righteous and holy man. And to execute him would not be right. So he knows. But because he's got all his buddies, all his friends, and he's trying to show how awesome and great he is, he decides to just go with the crowd rather than what, with what is right and has him beheaded. And they bring, him, bring his head on a platter and they give it to the girl, and this teenager girl takes his head on a platter and gives it to her mom. And thus is the end of John the Baptist and his ministry. Now, 
Side note, if you really want to listen to some like really kind of funky, weird song about it, John Mark McMillan sings a song called Cousin John, which is Jesus singing to John the Baptist. And like he's singing lines like, hey, don't go losing your head, Cousin John, stuff like that. Anyways, you can listen to that later if you really want to. Or not, whatever. It's kind of a funky song. Anyways, it's some fun. Um, there's, I think there's a lot of different things that we can learn from this story. I mean, one, one obvious thing is when we look at Herod and we see him showboating in front of all of his friends. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, do I go along with the crowd or do I go along with my convictions? What I know to be right and true. I think, I think we, can, we can take a lesson from that. Um, but there's something I want to I look at a little bit bigger, maybe zoomed out from that. When we look at Herod's family, they call it the Herodian dynasty. It's just, it's just messed up. And I mean... I don't think we have to look at ancient civilizations to see human kingdoms, man's kingdoms, are messy and broken. They're not great systems. Man's, man's kingdom is full of fighting and murder and abuse, injustice, lies, racism. I mean, look around you. Like, look around our world. Man's kingdom sucks. I mean, you could even say, look, look at our own country politically. Like, it's rough. But that's kind of like removed from us, right? But, but what about you? What about me? What about our little kingdoms? That, that we have, that we build in our lives. Whose kingdom are you building? Are you building God's kingdom or are you building man's kingdom or your own kingdom? Controlled by you. I mean, because man's kingdom is flawed <laughs> and falters and fails and is a mess. I mean... Even in the Christian realm, how many Christian celebrity kingdoms do we need to see collapse before we get it? <laughs> that man's way is not the best way. I mean, look at the nation of Israel. I mean, this is a perfect example. When they had a king who built their own kingdom for themselves, they were destroyed. But when they had a king who built God's kingdom and sought to rule his way, they flourished. Because God's kingdom is full of righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 15, 17. It's an everlasting kingdom. It is untarnished by sin. I mean, Jesus said when he was talking to Pilate, he's like, my kingdom is not of this world. He's like, if it was, my angels would be here fighting for it, but it's not. So what kingdom are we fighting for? Is it a kingdom of this world or is it God's kingdom? Because which one's worth it? 
So what does it look like? How do I know if I'm building my kingdom or God's kingdom? I mean, a simple question you can ask is who gets the credit in your life for anything? Who gets the credit at the end of the day? Who gets the praise? To what end do we work? Do we fight? To what end are we building? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, where moth and rust and thief cannot come in and steal or destroy. It's interesting. Herod, when he divorced his first wife and sent her back down to her father, guess what? He didn't like that. So he raised an army to come and fight against Herod. And Herod's army was absolutely destroyed. And the people blamed Herod on the beheading of John the Baptist for the loss of that war. Decisions have consequences. So whose kingdom are you building? Are you more concerned about your name? Like Herod? I mean, it's interesting, like, Herod the Great, who was not so great, did greatly horrible things, rebuilt all kinds of stuff and expanded the temple, but called it Herod's Temple. It was for his glory. It was for his name. Are we building things for our name or for God's name? Because when I build the kingdom of Caleb, <laughs> it's, it's worthless. But the kingdom of Christ... That's eternal, it's everlasting, it's radiant, it's perfect, it's undefiled. So building any kingdom that is not God's kingdom will fail and fall. Destined for destruction. Because this is the reality. Our work will be revealed in the fire for what it is, whether it will stand or whether it will burn up and be nothing. So who's kingdom are we building i pray that it is god's because that's the one it's worth it's worth it let's pray father god we we thank you and praise you so much for your your grace poured out on our lives day by day moment by moment God, and I pray that you would open our eyes to see the reality of what we are building, what kingdom we are building in our lives, whether it's for you or whether it's just for ourselves. God, I thank you for each and everyone here and those who may be watching online. God, I pray you pour out your blessing on them, that your spirit would draw them so close to you that they would know you and your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has for them, which is good. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.